Welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod after another classic Bledisloe Cup test. This time not so close, but the All Blacks look pretty polished this time around. I'm Ross Carl, joined by James Parsons and Bryn Hall. And boys, let's start off with, where did you watch this game? Because it was a cracker. Well, I watched it sideline, actually. I was doing some commentary for ZB. I had a, I had a great uh, vantage point, uh, and it certainly was physical. Um, it was fast-paced, and it was hot out there. And it would have been... You know, tough for both sides, but for, for my part, uh, the way the All Blacks paid the tempo of the speed of their game, the work that Nick Gill's obviously done with them over a number of months, they looked like they withstood the heat and the tempo a little bit better than, than the Aussie, Aussie boys for, for the Philadelphia. And I think that paid dividends. You know, the scoreline wasn't so uh, drastic at half time, but what I was saying in the comments is just watching their body language and the way, you know, sort of the All Blacks were getting to things first and, you know, there was a lot of tired boys out there in, in the Wallabies and it was like, I was saying that this is going to pay dividends and I was thinking more 60 to 80, but it was, you know, after the break and then the rest was history from there. I'll tell you what I saw, Jipper, mate. I think you saw the intent very early. Dane Coles off that, uh, getting into that little tussle early on and I think, mate, that just set, that, that, that just, uh, set the tone for the match, I thought, and um, there's a real edge and a real... Um, I wouldn't say a, mind, yeah, a mindset shift. I reckon. I, I reckon the physicality and the, um, that 40 minutes, like what a what a barnstorming um, half it was. And then, like you said, I think the tempo and we've talked about it the last couple of times with their click attack and um, the offloads. The KBA game was was immense from both teams actually. But you know, I thought the All Blacks, mate, when they had those little offloads off turnovers, and I remember uh, Michael Hooper talking about it in the press conference as well. And they thought there was a massive, um, massive where the a massive reason why they lost the game and. Missed tackles, I thought as well. A lot of missed tackles from the Australians. Um, a lot of missed tackles, which um, you I can't think that was, against an Aussie team. That was, due, team. that was due to the conditions and the fatigue. Like yeah. it was, it wasn't. You know, sometimes wet weather can even things up because you're never going to be pushed to your limits yeah. physically. Mm. Um, and as I said, it was really hot, and and all those fatigue led to. I think they had 11 turnovers, whereas this week, uh, 11 turnovers last week to 20-odd this week. Mm. And then the All Blacks obviously went the other way. They had 21 and they were down into 12. Yeah. So, um, you know, that like that conditioning, I, I reckon, was a big factor. Mm. Um, and it, I'll tell you one thing that I found very surprising, Jim, and no doubt we'll get the, into the bit of details around it a bit later. But um, we talked about Nick White and... Very interesting that in Wellington, it was a, a lot was played off nine. A lot was played off nine, whereas this test match, it was a lot off ten. Oh, they tried to play off nine a lot, though. But they played, defensively, um, they'd made a shift, mm. I thought. Because when, when the tempo was up, the Wallabies looked good. And, and that was all off Nick White. But then they played off ten a lot off that slow ball. Um, and then they lost to Moore. And it just sort of stagnated things. But, like... From the sideline, like when White ran and it was fastball, shit that, you know, it was just that skill execution, that last sort of pass that got them. But, you know, they were held up over the line there, which was freakish by Moana um, and, and, and Anton Leonard-Brown. Um, but, yeah, I still think they tried hard to play off nine, but th there was much better defensive decision-making by the All Blacks of when to jam and when to sort of be passive and uh, let them go. I still don't, I don't think they went away from that purposefully. I think they were probably forced into that a little bit. I think it comes back to your point around it, that execution, that execution as well. I think when they did um, play at speed, like talking around off Nick White, and then actually playing off 10, they actually had a lot of opportunities where the All Blacks had actually made defensive reads on the block plays. Mm. Quite a lot we talk about um, Dinganu and Richie held him up and that kind of stuff. And there were times when they penetrated right through the line, but that last pass, that last kind of drops, I don't, I don't know how many drops Korobiti had, but unfortunately he had a few in the game which were... Which were, which were really big in the scheme of things. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they play that same game plan in, in Australia when it would obviously be drier conditions as well. Um, but, yeah, I thought the All Blacks did really well to negate uh, Nick White, who I think we talked about has had an absolute blinder last week. Brian, just for the layman, uh, what is a block play? Sorry, um, just a little, it's like, an Austra it's like a rugby league play. Um, so you've got the guy going down line and then the guy at the back. So um, they had a round it's with... It's like a short ball runner on your shoulder and a guy out the back. Yeah. And so the Australians off face play, when they're playing off 10, they did that a lot. And even on the edge play, um, they played that a lot. So they got a lot of dividends out of that. So, you know, they, I'd pretty be sure they'll be trying to keep that uh, moving forward because they did get a lot of um, a lot of breaks. And, you know, it could be a different story with a couple of tries as well. 
that's the exciting thing about this, isn't it? Like you see a game and then a second game completely different. When you play the same team, what's going to be four times in a row, the story evolves. Game change mm. plans change. It makes it so much more interesting than playing one-off test matches. Well, we just sort of spoke about the conditions being a big factor and Wellington conditions, you know, so they're going to another set of conditions now in Australia and, and, and you know, an environment and touring together, things like that, that change it. And, um, you know, it is some, so much of it is the, the ability to get up mentally again. Like if you look at, um, I suppose, if you look at the first game, there was no pressure on the Wallabies. Like no one really gave them a chance. All the pressure was on the, on the All Blacks. Bang, they got 16 all draw. I would say the pressure got released off the All Blacks a little bit. Still a hell of a lot because they needed to bounce back. And obviously, you know, there was escalating that they'd lost their aura from Campisi and all that. So but that was probably fuel to motivate it. Got them away from the pressure of the outcome more like, no, we're going to prove you wrong, which they inevitably did. But then there was a huge on the Wallabies. There was changes um, to their team. And then it was just like, Right, you know, like we expect it to be as close, if not for them to have a victory at Eden Park. And maybe that change in week as well and that, that environmental pressure potentially played played against them. It's amazing, it's amazing, Egypt, that um, you know, that one or two percent if you're off, that's all it takes in a test oh, match. And you know, you come sorry. I, I interviewed Colsey and that's exactly what he said. He goes, We were one or two percent off last week and yeah, sixteen all he, and he goes, This week we were on, you know, on the money. And yeah. it, it sounds ridiculous that when you say yeah. one or two percent, <laughs> yeah. but it is. If you're just not meticulous enough in your prep, yep. you just you you will fall short somewhere. Mm. And people like me probably struggle to understand that completely. You know, like you, you hear it in the talkback callers and things, and they go, "Okay, well, you're paid to play this game. How can you be one or two percent off? You know, you should turn up." But mm. those tiny fractions, like you know, the game of inches speech from um, any given Sunday, that stuff's true. Oh well, you look at you look at that that first half. You think about the the physicality. You know, we talked about it last week. The collision area where the Australia were really good, where I thought the All Blacks were outstanding in that department. You know, the likes of Kane again, who was oh. who was tremendous in that um in that form of the game. And then you know the likes of Shannon Frizzell, who got two turnovers early on in that breakdown. Um, and then collectively, you know, I thought Tupo Vai for a guy that's just come in um, very early on in his career to put in a shift like that. Um, you know, I thought it was impressive. And Matt, oh. we've talked about Paddy as well, Jip. Yeah, I, 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 have, I have to say it. I think them shifting to three forwards outside nine made a big difference on on Richie. Yeah. Yep, on Richie and on the group one, they could have direct carries. And, and let me just—I'll just talk through this. So there was a moment where they were just carrying, obviously, and Richie was running out the back but not getting the ball carrying. He finally got the ball uh, in the first half um, out the back, and he plays to Kane. Kane gets a gain line carry right in behind. Bang, get him behind. Then there's an error. So, but they were hot on, like the, it worked a treat. And Richie just looked good, you know, like running out the back and as that arc. Straight after half time, um, before Geordie Barrett scores, instead of going through that three man pod, they go straight to Moonga, slow line speed. Because I'd shown that three man pod, Aussie were like, oh, oh, bang to Coles. They've jammed in, they've tried to cover it. Richie's running flat to line, bang to Coles. Coles goes through, Geordie scores them. Then finally, All, they hit a ruck there, and then Moonga is so flat with Paddy on his outside, another guy on his inside, and he's just a boom. Paddy goes through, offloads to, offloads to uh, Sam Kane, and then and scores. But it's all on the back of that ability to play, well, well, dominance first. So they've set them up in the first half by going dominant. Then they've pulled trigger and allowed Moonga to have his game, and he's picked off guys that we spoke about in that holds. Yep. And then bang, he's he's running flat and hard with guys off his shoulder yep. that set up three tries. Should have been three. I think but mate, one one was missed. Hundred percent. I think that's probably the yeah, the first time I've seen Richie in a while play like that. You know, very um, very on the ball and just an instinct, instinctive and having those guys off him, oh, playing off good, him, playing he? off him. He looks. It was it was those it was those flashy touches. Not 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 flashy touches. Sorry, just those simple touches. You know, putting the ball out in front, little yeah. dummy out, little pop, and just putting people into space, which. He does at the Crusaders. All we see, I see it all the time in training and even in games as well. And yeah. mate, I thought, sorry. No, no, sorry, but just that one with Coles going through because he is such a threat out of the back of that three. Yep. They Aussie jammed in on him, and that creates the hole. Like nothing, yep. not taking anything away from Coles, he's an exceptional line. But we mm. spoke about last week. He is the best decision maker 
out the back of a pot of three of whether yep. to run, pass, or you know, cross field kick. Yeah. And it must be a it must be a security blanket for him as well, knowing that shape as well, because he plays it a lot at the Crusaders, and so you know he's so used to that to that style. And look, it's great to see at that at that All Black level that they're playing that, and he's having that freedom where he's very familiar with that kind of shape. But mate, coming back to what I thought helped really helped as well, mate, Bowden Barrett at fifteen. He was um he was a he was electric mate and I think we can't underestimate his How ability. How many defenders beaten? Mate, I know I know we talk about his attacking game and you know the public eye will be like what a great attack game which it was but I don't think you can underestimate having that double pivot man especially in that in that shape especially in that shape it just helps Richie um, the communication skills but then if you can get that pass away and you've got another ball player like Bodie who has great distribution skills with the run kick and passing. I think it's going to be an evolution in the All Black game, which we'll see uh, in a much more improved um, around that as well. I think I think you're right, but I felt like there was a clear Richie was first go-to, Bodie was great from the back, whereas in the World Cup maybe it was a little bit who's who is that who is the pivot, but it looked like it was very much Richie first. If he's not available, Bodie will step up, but a lot of Bodie's damage was done from the back. You know, coming, you know, you know, counter-attacking from the back, creating opportunities and really injecting himself into that game. And as you as you also alluded to, is not just his attacking game, his ability to organise defence. You know, and and he's and knowing having played with him at the Blues, like he is awesome vocally about what's happening both sides, what's in front of you, and, and putting guys in the right spot. And again, I think that's why you know the All Blacks tackled at 86, 87 percent. I know they're probably looking for 90, and the Wallabies. Uh, he was a big factor in why the Wallabies tackled at 73%, you know? Yeah. Can't wait to get time. to Caleb Clark. Can't wait to get to him. <laughs> well, let's, let's do that now. It's time for our performance of the week with Healthspan Elite. They're the first nutrition supplier to the All Blacks. They've been with them for five years, and they provide supplements and dietary stuff to keep them on top of their health and their performance. Now, you can trust them because they batch test everything to give you peace of mind to know that you are safe. Now, Guys, performance of the week. Tell me, both of you, it's Caleb Clark. Not for me. For me. Not for me. For, for me. I'm going to take his, obviously, he's a big advocate for the Blues boys, but, mate, I thought Caleb Clark was tremendous. Um, every time he touched the ball, he just looked threatening, and he was threatening. Um, you know, over 100 metres, uh, defenders break, um, defenders beating right, left, and centre, and, um, yeah, every time he got a touch, you know, I can't imagine the last time someone that's um, got a standing ovation you know, after a game like that, that, young. Know, just, that young. young, you know, so I think the, the New Zealand public had a pretty good understanding how special that performance was. And the biggest thing I liked about Caleb around that, he was, you know, he was humble as well. Straight after his, um, um, his match, he, he had the press conference and he's just so level-headed and so mature for such a, for such a young kid. You know, you've um, had a great test match. You played well. Um, you know, you're going to get all the applause in the world, but, you know, he's very down to earth and, you know, no doubt that comes from his background as well with Ronnie as well. I think the biggest thing about that is his identity isn't a rugby player. His identity is, you know, more than that and, and what he can give to his community and his beliefs is probably more of a priority for him than, than Caleb Clark, the rugby player. And I think that's why he comes across and is so well liked by the public. Like, you know, to get a standing O in your first start, like it was a great performance, but I, I like that's a, it was a hell of a, like being there and, and seeing it, it was, it was, ex, it was exceptional. Like it was, you know, hair raising on the back of your neck sort of stuff. You, you One, I didn't expect it. I was like, Oh yeah, he played well, but you know, that's how, um, you know, infectious his personality is, I suppose. Um, so look, I, I thought he was great. Don't get me wrong. Um, he was, you know, definitely one of, the best players on the park. I, I just, the reason why I didn't choose him is, is maybe the way I see test match footy being won. Um, Spy hookers. Is, well, Colsey is my man. <laughs> Colsey is my man this week. Just because he's built for test match footy. You know, like, you, you mentioned it, Bryn. He set the tone. Although he got um, piss bowled by um, Taniella Tupo, he stood up, he grabbed him. Yeah, and, and he set the tone and set a bit of a brawl. Aaron Smith scored. He ran, I would say, 20 metres to rub Solokai Lotto on the head. And it's just those little niggly moments. Like, I know it sounds silly, but he just set the tone. He, you know, his, his, his game around the field, um, the line-outs, the scrums, and his, his, just his experience, his edge 
he's just he's everything test match footy's about and his steel and his leadership in that pack in that first 40 brought about the success of the All Blacks and that, that's why and not being biased to hookers, I just think he was a big factor in why there was a big turnaround in, in mindset, attitude, and that physical dominance. Um, I suppose without Brody as well, who provides a very similar approach, the All Blacks are used to having two of those guys, aren't they? And then, well, no. you know, last week they were starting with neither of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you can't look past the skip. He, he brings it every week as well, and, and Sam Kane, but they're used to probably having three or four. Yeah, you know, like like they're bruising sort of style players. Um, but Colsey, as I said, built for Test match footy, big factor in it. Um, and I, as I said, I interviewed him after the game, and and I mentioned that three two um, sort of setup attacking wise, and I, you know, and he just goes, "Mate, we're just going to keep evolving." You know, he's he's just yeah, uh, 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 you know, he's the sort of player that after the game he'll shake your hand, have a beer with you, and you know, none the wiser, but. He's also the same player that if you're on the ground and you expect to be picked up, he'll push you back down. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's interesting, Jip, because I wonder if... Because um, it's very Dave Rennie-esque, that kind of, you know, that kind of play. And I'd be interested to see if the Australians would bring that kind of... Um, it's not dirtiness. It's just, you know, that, that competitive edge and getting in someone's face and letting them know that you're here. I think they brought it. I think Harry Wilson did another shot on um, Bodie. It's just, you either... You know, you can, you know, and Tupo brought it. Like he matched Colsey. Like you got to give him credit. He he was, he was into it. He just ran out of gas and got subbed, obviously. But um, it comes with experience. You know, they're still a young team, um, and and all those sorts of players like, uh, you know, Colsey and and Guzler and that will come of age. You know, I think Ned Hannigan was exceptional yesterday. Uh, you know, ball in hand, his physical prowess. He's the sort of player. With, along with Harry Wilson and, and Hooper that can make up a really tough trio. Um, so th- I think they still had aspects of, like, they got held up. Uh, there was, you know, an escorting penalty. Um, and, and they were just, due to the fatigue and the speed of the nature of that first 40 and how many tackles they had to make and technically had to miss and then backtrack, mm. just it just let, allowed them to run out of steam. But they still showed plenty of promise. Like, we can't, Oh, mate! Can't if they flip it on its head, just it, the score line, just like last week, I don't think sixteen all was fair. I just don't think this week it, it, it's fair. For there's so many, there's so many potters that, that they can take out of it. You know, if their if their skill execution was on just a bit better, you know, I think we're probably having a much tighter test match. You know, there's like you, you see, there's a couple of times like they, they should have scored. Like that one, I think. And what what another thing that I thought set the tone as well was it was very very similar to when we played in Wellington. Um, they got a, a massive line. They got a line break, and we're getting really close to the, pretty much right on the the the, uh, the try line, and we get a turnover right then they and butch, there. They butchered that. I know the one you're talking about when Tupo yeah, goes through the middle. Yep. Yep. And he he puts it up to Solakai Lodu, yep. and he and he goes the opposite direction and gets um, tackled, and Arnie yep. gets a turnover. If they had popped it and spread it wide, the damage yep. had been done, and from there the All Blacks actually ended up all the way down there, and Aaron Smith scores. Correct. And that was the turning moment for me I was just like oh you know that that yeah. was just crucial because they'd done the damage and then from there Tamua kicks and Tamua goes off who mm. was actually created a lot for them at first receiver I felt like O'Connor really ran the ball a lot which promoted Tamua to run that first receiver role and, and was pulling guys off holes running to the line quite well mm. then losing him um, I think was a big factor in those two young midfielders yeah they were exceptional as individuals but in mm. terms of having that experience and game management, yeah, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they go um, with that. Sec- they try the second pivot, you know, or they're just gonna, you know, Matt. I think Matt oh. losing Matt, Matt Tamua, mate, was massive. And we if he's around, not back, if he's mm. not back, I reckon O'Connor at twelve and get Lollastio in there at first. At, at first receiver, he's he's like for like with Malone. Mm. I reckon you go back to when the Brumbies played the Chiefs. Yeah, he put he put on a clinic. Yeah. Yep. So that inside back combination that they've got going on, are, are you happy that the Wallabies are looking in the right direction with with what they've got right now with White, O'Connor, Tamua? Is is that the future for them over the next four years? I think they've got a lot of options at nine. Um, you know, I, I think White's got the ability to play 
a certain style, but if the conditions don't suit, you know, like a, a, a live wire like McDermott, Gordon, um, that they'll get a chance in a, in a Rennie coach side. He, he won't, he won't not give them a chance. Um, I like O'Connor at 10, but, and, and Tamua, I think with that experience, it's definitely one to look at, but over the next four years, I, I would probably think Lolisio will, will come of age and, and, be their pivot, their main go-to pivot. He just is a natural 10 um, with a lot of X factor, but with a lot of maturity and, and ability to have great game management. From what I've seen at super rugby level, obviously test match levels is next step up, but put O'Connor at 12 for the next test if Tamua's not available and, and Lolosio at 10 um, and, and you know Posami or um, Patera at, at 13. I just think they were like-for-like -like players um, Hunter Pasami and, and Jordan Patera in that 12-13 role yesterday once Tamua went. You mentioned earlier about the missed tackles from the Wallabies. There were lots and lots of them. It was uh, 40. 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, a whole heap of them. Now, what does that come down to, Brent? Is that just straight-up one-on-one tackling or is there something wrong with their defensive setup? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting because, you know, it's week-to-week. It's week. You know, obviously, they had such a great defensive effort against them in Wellington. But then Jips probably talked about it as well. It's that, it's that repeating that, that effort or trying to take it to the next level, which is tough. And all it takes, it's, it's 1% or 2% where you might be a little bit off and you know, it comes to a situation where, you know, they're at about 70, 75% tackling success rate. You know, if you're going to have those kind of stats against an All Blacks team that were physically a lot better, um, their breakdown was quick and they changed their shape a little bit to, to nullify it. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough day at the office. So I can imagine that Dave will um, get them back home, which is going to be a, a different team as well. We're always going to be better back at home. But yeah, I, I can't imagine they'll be, <laughs> they'll be missing and being at about a 70%, 75% tackle success rate moving forward in the rest of the series. For, for me, it was um, the All Blacks' ability to, yeah, we've spoken about it, their transition from defence to attack. Like They're a team that doesn't look for the penalty. They, Artie gets it to his chest or it was um, Shannon gets it to his chest and, and they, they play Leonard Brown cuts with Colsey, Colsey finds Aaron Smith down the right hand side and you're just constantly backtracking in warm temperatures and it's not through a lack of one-on-one -on -one tackling it's the scrambled D just got caught and, and it, was, it was more to the way the All Blacks attacked and played and their mindset to keep the ball alive um, that caught them off guard you know because uh, if you don't have a set D-line, I think with them defensively when they're set, it's they're pretty good, really. Um, you know, for the most part, it's it's more around um, the, the All Blacks style was just, they were brutal, man. They, and the, the conditions allowed it, but they stuck. The passes were sticking. It was, mm. I don't know how, how they didn't run out of gas. I think um, even if you think about the Australians with that as well, like I thought their, skill, their skills around that clicking KBA was really good as well. And I think it's a, um, that'll be a, a part of their game that's consistently going to keep getting available, especially with Dave Rennie getting there. Because we know that the All Blacks, you know, they score a lot, a lot of their tries based around there and putting teams under amount of, at amount of, amount of stress. They've just got to keep backtracking. And like you said, I saw on the weekend, they missed that many tackles because of that. But there were some passages of play with the area. I thought the, the continuity and the, the skill set from their forwards and to their backs was was pretty good as well. But unfortunately, those little mistakes that we've talked about with, with Kuru and Drani and those kind of scenarios. Um, it just let them off the hook, let the All Blacks off the hook. So it'll be a positive for them moving forward. And I'd like to think being in Australia, it'll be dry as well. So it'll be similar conditions, probably a little bit more humid, a little bit more humid, which could have, um, which might hamper the skill set a little bit. As, as you know, when we play in Aussie, it's sometimes it looks dry, but there's that much humidity around that it's, um, that it's quite wet. So, um, but they can take a lot of confidence out of that. And I know that Dave Rennie will be driving on that factor as well because um, I reckon at this stage, the All Blacks are just a little bit better when it comes to that click attack. But just on that, where you said that Aussie's click attack was good and that they're keeping the ball alive and it was just maybe that last pass, I felt like that was a reflection of the adjustment the All Blacks made defensively. Like uh, the best examples towards the end, they had a scrum and they ran, a, you know, ran two short ball lines and they went out the back um, to O'Connor, who then gave it to Cotabetti, and um, Jack Goodhue went in, Moonga went in, and Anton went in, and Damien was in a position where it was, if he let Cotabetti have it, it was a three-on-one. He saw his inside went in, and he, bang, went in, and he, he got nowhere near him, but because of his defensive pressure, it forced that error, 
and Karabiri knocked it on. And it was, I think that that's where they forced so many turnovers this week is they were committed together. They went together. So if they rushed, they trusted their mate's decision and they went, you know, like they trusted the inside and they followed him. And then if they were passive, then they trust the inside and work, work, work towards the sideline. I, I felt yeah. like there was a much better connection defensively. Yeah, I thought. Yeah. And especially on the edge, I thought, you know, the combination of Jack Goodhue and Anton Leonard Brown, their defensive efforts were, were fantastic. You know, um, I thought Jack was a lot better defensively and um, just a lot, looked a lot more settled um, than he has probably the last test match, the last couple of test matches. So. Um, I know we did talk around the selection issue around whether it were going to be Rico or, or Anton, but yeah, I actually thought they were pretty uh, pretty solid, those two. And just on attack as well, I thought Jack looked a lot better as well. Um, you know, those little touches that he's probably done at the Crusaders around that, in, that linking play with the pass or an offload. Um, yeah, I thought he was a lot better this week. I don't know what you thought about that, Jip. Yeah, I, I, was, I was right near him at one stage uh, down the edge. And like when you're playing him, you actually don't appreciate his skill set and his time on the ball. Like, he gets the ball, there's a man on him, he shapes inside and gets it away and then just gets hit. But, like, he still... I was just like, geez, that's good, you know? Like, and, and, like, I got to see it close up and, and his ability. But what I noticed most about him and Anton is defensively, man. They are just everywhere. Like, the Ks, I'd love to see the, both of their GPS numbers. Like... He got, uh, Jack got subbed, and we all know once you sit down, it's quite hard to get cold. Uh, Peter Umanga Jensen goes off. He comes back on. I think he made another 10 tackles. Like, he looked, he just looked like he was ready to go again. I, I thought the midfield worked really well for what they were there to do was to shore up the defence. And, and I still will argue they will never have, those two players will never have the X factor of, of what Rico has. But in, in terms of their partnership and, and what they still offered an attack. I think his attack was much better. I think, again, I hate to harp onto it, but the shape, the face play shape, allowed them that comfortable nature of what they're used to, um, you know, Moanga and, and Goodhue, to, to flourish. As a combination, the critique I've heard of them as a combination is maybe the lack of a, of a pure direct runner. But I thought that Jack took that Jack role on pretty that. well. Yeah. yeah. Especially just, through, yeah. if he hadn't got that forward pass from Kane, that, that was, that, you know, yeah. like he went straight through that transition. Um, but he was good straight off the scrum uh, before Aaron Smith scored. Yep, he was good over the line. He, he that crash ball bang sucked in defenders and then created that op- op- opportunity down um, for for Nuggy to take. I, I, I th- he was definitely, you know, a strong performer. Mm. Uh, so is he the twelve and Anton's the thirteen? Have they got that right? Well, it looks it looks like that's what they're sticking with. Mm. Well, he, yeah, Jack had a um, lot of time at the Crusaders this year playing at 12. And um, I think in that position, it's 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 a lot more directing. It's, it's kind of second pivot, very similar to Tamua um, around that second pivot and helping out with the communication and another pivot um, to run your game. And, you know, Jack, you know, was an out-and-out centre probably for uh, for the Crusaders before we moved to 12 this year. And I think it's just taken a bit of time. It's just been taking a bit of time. And he had a, he had a great teacher in Ryan Crotty be able to learn off and uh, for him I think the more time that he's going to get in that jersey at 12 at that level um, yeah, he'll, he'll make those different those little um, improvements slowly and uh, because you know you think about it you know I would have thought they would have gone Anton at 12 and Jack at 13 that's what you would have thought with the combination they did at the World Cup so they must be seeing that Jack is, is their 12 moving forward and that's the kind of the role you know we know that he's strong defensively and, and, uh, and makes good decisions around with this on attack but I think that second pivot role when helping out Richie and the 10 and that connection with the 15, I think that'll be his, um, yeah, the direction for him moving forward in that environment, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, if you were to then have Rico come back in, who would you have at 12? Would Jack remain the pure 12? or And Anton's obviously a, probably a better bench option. Well, he fits. He's played that 23 role a lot, hasn't he? Um, and with Rico's ability to go to the wing, that 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 suits, but I look. I would love to see, like you look at the North South game, Anton and Rico were pretty good. Like I, I'd like to see more of them together. But I think after yesterday's performance, Jack Jack's you know really taking control of that twelve jersey. Well, I've also got to commend because um, they the the coaching group of the All Blacks had a hard week. I reckon like they they were put under the pump a little bit. Um, and the adjustments they made in, in team structures um, and, and, you know, selections, 
You know, they didn't stick, you know, some injury force, some not. Um, you know, they didn't stick to, to what we thought maybe of giving that team another run. Like, they've definitely got their own identity, I think we found out after, after this week. And you've got to commend their ability and, and their coaching um, group for what they did. Um, because, you know, I harped on at length about Rennie last week and I think it's fair to acknowledge that Fozzie and his group were pretty mm. exceptional <clears throat> in, in this week leading to this yeah. to get the result they got. As well as so, the leadership group. Yeah. As well as the leadership group. Yeah. Just around the game as well, what I did like as well, Jip, is seeing the um, the variety of their kicking game. And, you know, they went to a lot of contestables off nine, which they did yeah. in Wellington and in Auckland. But then um, as, the, as the game went later on, they mixed that up a little bit with getting contestables off Richie, mm. off 10 and being able to uh, put pressure through that way. And we've talked about Bodie around his ability to be that third option that puts the kicks in behind, like that lovely grubber that he put in behind um, and that uh, one of the passages of play. You know, that kind of uh, variety in their kicking game, I think, you know, it's going to put teams, in, especially Australian, in a lot of... A lot of pressure, so I don't know what you would have seen on, on uh, at the ground level, but I just thought that um, the different point of attack where they put them in a vice, I thought it was it was really well done, really really well done. Well, we all know I'm a big fan of contestables, so if you're <laughs> doing contestables, I think it's a big part of the game. That's um, you know, it's an it's an attacking kick, isn't it? It's not a it's not a negative kick, it's an attacking kick. But I think they got their balance right between going long, short, um, and grubbers, like even. Just even looked like, again, I know it's weather permitting, but you know they, they played eyes up footy. I know that's so stupid to say, but when, when they're doing a rolling ball and it veers to the left, and you know TJ pops down the sideline, bowls off Nick White, does a little grubber, and you know Cody Taylor nearly picks it up. And you know a lot of it was off the cuff stuff that they're doing as well. You know Paddy's holding the ball up here and throws it. You know that shows the signs of a confident team and believing in what they've done during the week and, and being instinctive, you know, like not, not robotic. And um, that's when you know the All Blacks are at their best, when they front physically, but then they're, they're just pulling trigger on what they see. Um, and that's why I think Richie um, looked the best he has in, in the All Black jersey um, on Sunday. And speaking of TJ, he's signed with the Japanese club for next Super Rugby season. So he's going to be missing Super Rugby and playing for the Red Hurricanes over in Japan. So that's a million, a million dollar deal, isn't it? It's, it's a big move, yeah. Between <laughs> <laughs> Powerade and uh, you know everything else that TJ's got, he's got sponsors coming in left, right, and centre. Oh, look, I thought he was um, he was he was out, outstanding on the weekend, and uh, you can just see the competitive juices that was that were flowing inside of him. Um, but you, you know, should have seen him when they were going to that lineout in the eighty third minute. He was just roaring at the forwards, like just like they're not getting across, and he yeah. just was. He was in the zone, and it was like, yep, yeah. he he was just demanding, yeah. and that's what you want to see in you know an all black, but an all black leader. Yeah. He he's, he's he is going well, and that's the best thing I think about. Um, we're very fortunate in this country, you know. We've got Aaron Smith, who you know, arguably is one of the best, probably one of the best halfbacks, and is one of the best halfbacks in the world. But the difference between TJ and and Nuggy is bugger all. You know, I know styles of play, it's different, but you know yeah. the, the amount of impact and he comes up brings off the bench, you know. Straight up, first up, you know, smokes someone, and you know he rips the ball, and you can just see his intent. Yeah. You know, he's giving Nick White a bit of a bit of heat as well. But you know, when you've got that kind of fire and you know that kind of competitiveness, and nothing, you don't lose anything. You don't lose anything when when Nuggy goes off. Maybe a little bit with well, his. You almost, with his... you almost gain it because he's fresh against a tiring team, you know, and his energy yep. and his intent yep. can almost when you've been out there sixty minutes, you. You know, yeah. like especially if he hits a forward because he can hit forwards just as hard as forwards hit yeah. forwards. You know, so yeah, it's, they it's always, they a real always, lift. They always talk about one-two punches, but mate, but they it's a one-one punch. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's the way I see it, and we're very fortunate that we have that in our ability to have two guys like that. They can um they can sway games and influence games in different ways in different ways. With that, and if you talk about Coles at the start of the game, TJ is that, isn't it? And that is quite an amazing thing to have. Well, it's test match. As I said, just like Colsey, like they're built for test match footy. That intent and and their um, competitive attitudes, uh, uh, they never turn off. Uh, and, and, and it might sound stupid, like uh, you know, it's not saying that they're not built for Super Rugby. But some guys are some guys are really good at Super Rugby, but then test match footy is just a step above because of that intent. It's whereas. You know, they're sort of the opposite. Like they just they live in they're at their best in the black jersey playing test match for you. I, I from where I look at it. 
You must have butted head with Colsey a few times, Chipper. Oh, what kind of words do you get in the first scrum? We're, we're two hotheads, mate. We, we, we don't say too much because there's a respect there, but we, we certainly go at each other. Um, but, yeah, like we're two, two hotheads. I just don't... <laughs> I just don't quite have the, the, the speed and the agility of Dane Coles to, 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 to warrant 80 tests for the All Blacks. You don't say too much. No, we don't. Honestly, <laughs> we, don't. We, we, say, we say a simple hello and then it's, right? it's, it's um, she's all action. <laughs> she's all action. We'll do most of our talking to the referee. The poor ref gets more of our chat than... than um, but no, like we, we probably did when we were young, but now we're reasonable mates. So it's, it's more like you, you, once you cross the line, you, you, you're not there to chew the fat or make jokes. It's, she's all business. Speaking of the referee, you know, we had an Aussie rep on the weekend. Um, I, got, I know there hasn't been anything, I suppose, untoward or controversial happen, but I haven't felt a problem with having a Kiwi rep one week and an Aussie rep the next. It, it seemed fine to me and they understand the styles of play that these two teams yeah. are playing and it creates a spectacle. Why do we need to bring guys from all over the world if we can have this and it's better? I think we're very, for, I think we're lucky that we've got those, um, those boys that are riffing that are um, in that kind of super rugby kind of feel. So they've got a really good understanding that they're riffing it at um, super rugby level, whether it be super rugby outset or super rugby AU. Um, so they've got a really good understanding of what the style of play has been played. Whereas sometimes I feel when the Northern Hemisphere refs come over and they, they ref us, um, they're just not. I don't feel they're in sync. They're in sync with how we play, and they actually in they actually dictate a lot of the the um, of the way of how the game goes, and actually have an influence on the game. So I find that you know we talk about how well they how well they ref our our boys, the one um, Angus Garda and and that, Paul Williams. Yeah, and Paul Williams. Sorry, you don't hear much of it. You know, you just like they've done, they've done a good job because there hasn't been anything um, anything bad. So. I think it's been a real positive having, having them and, um, you know, so I don't but know. They, but they own their mistakes. Like Rico's foot on the touch. There's just, if you just front things, it, it, you know, like it's not like he meant to miss that in Wellington. He had great control. Angus Gardner is one of the best refs, if not the best going around. Like he, he's got a great um, rapport with players um, and, 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 to the point that it's, it's, you know, he'll talk in his time, but it's respectful. Like he's, he's not trying to make it about him. He's trying to make it about a spectacle for the, the fans and, and playing his part in making the game flow. Uh, Paul Williams is the same. Ben O'Keefe was on the, on the touch on the weekend. He's another one that, you know, is up and coming as well. And I, I think the biggest thing for those men um, is that their priority is to make it a spectacle for the fans. And, and that's, that's, that's probably uh, the difference um, than, than most. And I, I hadn't thought of it like that, Bryn. I think that's a great point uh, that you say when they come down here, they're used to a different style of play and, and you know, seeing things that they're not used to. It's, that's, a, that's a very fair point. The other thing for me is that, you know, when you look at the usual international season, the refs go week by week and they're assigned to a certain game in a certain country and they can't just, you know, pop over to another country to do a game. These guys are doing minor 10 cup, then they're turning up to a test match. They're getting lots of practice in, you know, yeah. um, and, and that's probably a good thing eh? for all of us in all of our professions. You know, the more often you do it, the, the better form you feel in. Yeah, and they're working as a three consistently. So they're getting to know each other and, understanding trends and, and things that, you know, that certain refs will have focus areas as them as individuals. And then, then the touch judges will learn that. So they'll be looking at the areas that they know that sometimes they miss sort of thing, you know? So it, it, having that group of three continuously working, I don't know if they're going to Aussie as a three, but it, it would make sense if they did. I'd hope so. Cause they were fantastic. I thought they were great. I thought they were great. So it'd be great to have them on. Yeah, and in the long term, I mean, we don't know when COVID's going to go away. And let's face it, the chance of Northern Tours and things like that are probably quite a while away. Uh, it makes sense. And, you know, I think the fans will feel it when they see mm. something different. You know, they'll you get just, used to this. You can just tell with the spectacle of how, of what's been, how, how the game's been played. You know, the last two test matches, even one that's in wet conditions where you think that um, a ref might dictate a little bit more with errors or just with the flow of the game. But, you know... For refs, you know, if they're not talked about, then that's when they've had a pretty good game. You know, they're talked about when they have a shit game. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the kind that's the kind of role that they have, and it's no different to us players, you know. Some players, you know, could play 30, 40 games just being real consistent. They have one shocker, and then that's the, the headlines. So it's no different for refs, and 
yeah, we've, we've got to applaud um, good riffing. You know, you know, those boys have been have been really, really good. And again, we've talked about it before. Have just a really good understanding, a feel of what um, of what the rugby style has been played at the moment. And it comes back to them um, seeing it at Super Rugby level, and then being able to have that same influence and understanding of how the game's been played at, at Test level. Let's talk South Africa then, pulling out of the rugby championship. Jeffrey, yeah. what are you thinking? Um, oh, look, they're in a they're in a position that um, is challenging in terms of the travel and um, getting players together. Uh, and, and they've obviously taken pride in the fact that they're world champions and potentially that could have played a factor. Um, and then outside of that, there's been no secret that they've not been a fan of some political decisions and, and you know, I suppose relationships off the park um, have been challenged and, and they've taken to that not too kindly either. So there's, I think there's a number of factors at play. Can't put my finger on what's the most dominating, but when players like that start maybe not wanting to come down and, and are their leaders and their quality players, then I think you, you're always going to struggle. Whatever, I, I think you can almost park the, the political stuff. If, you, if your senior leaders aren't keen to travel and they don't want to get down here, well, you, you know, most of your group's going to follow. And I'd say that's probably been the biggest deciding factor. Mm-hmm. Ross, do you think they'll bring anybody, any, another team in? No, they've gone, the three they've gone to Tri-Nations. The, the, just the, the three? Yeah, it's it's too late. But, I mean, it would have been good to bring in, uh, you know, the best of the rest from, you know, Australia and New Zealand or whatever. Or, you know, if you can't get all the top Pacific Island players probably down from Europe, but hmm. maybe you could have collated. There are plenty of good Pacific Island players based down here who aren't available for the All Blacks or the Wallabies. You know, they could have done something there. Hmm. Um, but I suppose at that shorter notice, it's logistically probably pretty difficult it's already just with these three teams pretty logistically difficult like by the sounds of it if the brisbane border doesn't open up to new south wales by the start of the competition the teams are going to be flying into brisbane the day of the game playing jumping on a plane and flying back and all staying within their bubble within that that's a tough day out like already this championship without them is hard yeah and if if you're talking around test that kind of preparation as well as we know how tough it is to to play when you're flying on the same day and whether it's an early start or, or not. So I hope the borders do open because, yeah, it, uh, preparation-wise, it's pretty tough. They'll, they'll bite down on the mouth guard and get it done. But um, As long as it's the same for both teams, I think it's always tough when it's like if you're travelling to someone's ground, like if you're travelling on a bus the day of the game or you're flying in the day of the game to someone's home venue and they're sleeping in their own beds, then I think that is an advantage. It's a huge advantage. We know that. Um, but... If they're both going from Sydney, day of the game, that's pretty fair. Um, and and the thing we know about COVID is you have to be flexible. It's just it's just the way it is. It's just the new age. And I and I think players are so used to it. Management are so used to it. You know, we were talking um, about getting guys back for Christmas. I don't know, four weeks ago. Now we don't even need to worry about it because there's not even a fourth team there. You know, it's ever changing. So you just got to work on your feet and I just think everyone's aware of that now so I just don't think it's going to be a factor well, from where I sit anyway how can you not expect something to change uh, you could plan <laughs> you know you could plan that you're going to fly the day of the test and then that week they go oh no actually the border's open you can go Thursday you know you just don't know it's, yeah. it's just it's just something you can't complain about because it is just the nature of the beast now mm. And for the All Blacks, I think they have the bye after that game anyway. So it's not such a biggie. Even if they do a real tough day, they've got a couple of weeks to get themselves prepped for that last game against Argentina. So, you know, <laughs> as far as they're yeah. concerned, it's not yeah. that bad. No, exactly. No. exactly. Um, I read today New South Wales had zero cases. Um, and apparently if there's 27 more days of that, then we can have a bubble with New Zealand and then the players don't even have to go into quarantine on the way back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this... Keep doing what you're doing, Sydney. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, totally. After the New Keep Zealanders doing what you're doing, man. When you Not go just to the All Blacks want to go to Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Tell you that. A lot of Qs would probably want to go there as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. Now, I can't go through this without touching on a Blues player, of course. <laughs> Alex Hodgman. Oh, yeah. What yeah. a debut. He yep. came on at the 30-minute mark. The scrum was struggling at the start. And I think it got better not 
not just based on Alex's arrival, but due to that fatigue factor that I was talking about in that first 30 minutes actually caught up with um, Tupo and, and Slipper and um, Paunga Mosa. But he came on, got a penalty off his first scrum, was immense around the paddock and had 50 minutes. The game was in the balance when he came on. And he had 50 great minutes for a man on debut. Mm. Uh, it just shows the growth and where he's come to. And I was just so proud um, mm. seeing him out there. You know, he was, he was, he was close to nudging Colsey off my performance of the week. But I, <laughs> I couldn't look past the, the, the master that is Colsey. But I thought he was exceptional. And, um, and then just lastly, Bryn, before you jump in, Patrick Tupelodu running the all-black line out. one thirteen, lost one. Uh, he just, he took, I thought when Scott Barrett came on, they might change, but he, I spoke to him after the game and he goes, look, the first few were a bit jittery, a bit nervy that the Wallabies were, knew it was an area of potential weakness. So they were yelling heaps so they couldn't get the call, but he stayed composed, Colsey stayed composed. They got good ball off it. Um, and, you know, it, it was just, it's great to see his development and growth is continuing at the international level. He'll be better for it now. Um, and and he'll he'll be able to take more charge, I think, and, and get alongside Sammy Whitelock yeah. uh, to keep learning, but also yeah. keep contributing. I think um, just with talking about Alex, mate, you know, it's great, you know, you talk about Caleb Clark, you know, a guy that's come on the scene and um, you know, has been rewarded very early uh, with an all-black jersey, but... You look at Alex Hodgman, a guy that's, you know, plied his trade for a while now. And it's great to see a moment like that where a guy can just come on, you know, in a pretty uh, in a pretty tough part of the match and just come on and, you know, seem like he's been there for 20, 30 tests. You know, I thought his, his scrummaging was was awesome. Um, obviously, being a halfback, I know a lot about scrummaging, Jip, but I think if you can even see from the sideline, you know, his the way he controlled that scrum and, you know, got a few penalties, um, it just comes back to his growth. Because I think you'd probably say, Jip, um, you know, from where he was probably three to four years ago to where he is now, he's just so much better as a player with his growth and, and his scrummaging and the way he has been as a player. Yeah, he was always mobile. That was his strength and, and yep. his set-piece stuff needed um, the work and he's put that work in and I think a lot of credit has to go to one, uh, Tom Coventry, but more importantly, Ben Afiaki um, has worked really closely with him. He's our blue scrum coach and um, you know, he's been fantastic for a lot of our boys. And, and also, I think the competitive environment for his spot at the Blues has helped. You know, him and Carl have been going head to head for minutes, which, you know, means you have to be at your best all the time for the whole year. So when he goes into that environment, um, you know, he's not used to it or he's not taken aback by that competitive energy uh, to get a black jersey. So I think all those factors play, but more importantly, the most important factor is his work ethic. Hands down, works his ass off. We look at a lot of these props over the last couple of years who've been kind of maturing at that age. You know, I suppose when you know, Owen Franks came on the scene as a 21-year-old playing great test footy, people's idea of how old a prop should be, you know, kind of came down a lot. But now <laughs> you look at these guys over the last couple of years, whether it be Carl or um, or Alex, they've come into this team in their late 20s. And, and by then, probably the general public would have considered them journeymen. Suddenly, well, they're world-class even... players. Even Joe Moody started quite late. Yeah. Um, Jeff, can, I just, can I just ask a question on, on the propping? You've had a lot more experience than me, mate. I feel like probably the last 24 months, the, the propping role and selection of a prop has changed. Like it's gone from very set-piece dominant, you want to be like, you know, Owen Franks have been good at your set-piece, your core roles in that, in that sense. And then it probably got to a little bit of a hybrid of being really mobile. And, you know, you look at the, the likes of Angus Tarvel and uh, Atu Moli last year at the World Cup selections in that. Where do you feel that there's that sweet spot of what the of kind of the prop, perfect prop that you're looking for? Oh, you want you want to have an all-round game, um, but I always think you've got to go to bread and butter. Yeah, I mean, set piece has to be crucial. You, you you can see like you just don't win games without being physical at the breakdown and winning set piece ball. You just won't win it. So I think that should be the priority. But the, these props now know that, so that they've got the skill set and the ability. Um, to move around the park. And I think there is a greater expectation now for that mobile prop. And Gus probably changed it. He's another one that was the late, you know, he played a hundred super games before he had, you know, got his test match um, call up and, and, you know, and I suppose the reason why they go so well when they get in there is because they've had the experience. They've bided their time and then, and it's, and it's, they're, they're more mature. And uh, Owen Franks is a one of a kind, one in a generation prop player he he was exceptional you know 
and so was probably Tony Woodcock. He got in there at 21 as well. Um, you know, but they're just once in a generation. If, if Ben Alfiaki hadn't had his concussion, he debuted around 25, 26 as well, you know, and he would have been kicking on. So I think for the most part, that's when props start, you know, finding themselves and maturing. And then I think you see the best of them 30 plus. Yeah. When they're 30 plus. If you're trying to follow an earning a million a year. <laughs> God, he's still got it, doesn't Isn't he? Isn't he? Jeez. Oh, his skill set's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so you get a, in this term, you get a, a young mobile guy and you say, okay, we're going to put seven years into you, six or seven years, and then we'll see how good you are. It's quite interesting because there aren't many, in fact, I don't think there are any positions in rugby outside well, of that you, where you'd be willing uh, to put that level of investment into uh, a player to get them to where they need to be. Well, if you look at another position, you look at the wingers, you know, it's the complete opposite. Mm. You know, you, you go seven or eight years, you, you mature and you get better as you get with the age of where, when you're a prop. But man, you look at the All Blacks now. Uh, George Bridge, Severus, last year with the two wingers, you know, George obviously been injured, but you know, Caleb Clark comes along, and before that, Riku comes along. And, you know, the the chops and changing of, of a winger is so much different to a prop. But that's why I love I love the different positions in rugby because um, different stages in your career is where you're where you're blossoming. You know, and oh, props yeah. are props are no different. Uh, they stay age, they get better with age. Whereas I think you know that winger stage, it's very twenty one to that 26, 27, especially if you're if you're a winger kind of kind of age range. So, well, you have to learn. <clears throat> the art of scrummaging and, and line out lifting and mauling and and that just comes with time like you, you can't it's such a technical beast it, it, it's just uh, it, like you say Bryn, it's just the opposite and I think putting six or seven years of investment into a guy that um, you know is going to come into his prime is, is crucial um, to our game and we continually do it and it's probably you know that's why New Zealand rugby have got a successful rate of when one key prop goes or hooker or uh, lock or um, type five member, I've got another one um, snapping the heels. Uh, sometimes, you know, guys like Tupo Vai are, are young and then, then other guys um, are not so. So I think that type five position is an area where you just get better and better with age. It probably shows in the way that the European clubs come down here too, right? Because you don't often see them raid and come down and grab, you know, a, a prop from our war chest. They, they wait until they're, they've got to the point where they're really successful, then take them. Yeah, but they've also got guys up there yeah. that are playing at 40, 42 that are yeah. just, because their game's different. All they care about yep. is scrum. Set piece. You scrum. They don't need to interplay up there. So, and they've got their own beast up there. And that's why it's not such a threat, I suppose, um, for them to be stolen when they're young because they've got to put the, the the investment into them to make them good and then they become on the international stage and then that's when you know you, you lose guys unfortunately at probably an age where you'd want to keep them like Charlie Farmoina but yeah um, you know he he was he was probably at his at his peak and is continuing to get better um, but he's another I would say sort of a mm. freak of a prop with his skill set sort of like John Arfala. Good life choices there eh? a twenty year career. That's what it's oh, all about. Yeah. Oh. You're on the front well, row, mate. You last forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's it? Chris King. Chris King was playing for us not uh, a couple of years, like last year, or two years ago. He was like late thirties, yeah. going into his early forties. Yeah, Thirty-eight. Yeah. The bloody Jamie McIntosh was on the field for a target right. against Counties on the weekend. What my knees won't work by. My knees won't work by then. That's for sure. <laughs> I'll be gone by then. Yeah, but you can't. You, you, the expectation of you is to run nearly two and a half thousand meters. Of yep. like high speed meters with a yep. total of seven k or eight k in a game, whereas front rowers just like if you can you know still have the skill set and ability to get to your mm. your rucks and your breakdown and you put in you know ten or fifteen scrum efforts. Yeah, that's where I'm a little. It's bit a twenty three man game, as they say. Yeah, that's where I'm a little bit different. So it's though, a twenty three man game. You couldn't pay me enough to put my head in the scrum. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you couldn't pay me enough to sprint 2.5K either. <laughs> Again. That's the beauty of rugby. That's the Isn't beauty it? of rugby. <laughs> Those Ironman athletes like Cameron Brown and stuff like that, they you know, they get in the best in their late 30s. How come we're not seeing halfbacks in their late 30s then? Well, you are Andy Ellis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Andy's, yeah, Andy's find the flag. Come on, yeah. Andy, keep going, boy. Yeah. Keep going, mate. Well, he's no, he's Pitt, with us this year. Pity went deep. Pity was like in his prime at that 215 World Cup. 
Bryn's in his prime, you know, in four years, 2023. He'll be ready to go. <laughs> uh, Andy gives me hope. Andy Ellis gives me hope. He gives me hope, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can we circle back to the South Africans again? I know we went a long way in the other direction, but have they... <laughs> Sorry, we went in that blues direction. Yeah, right? blues direction. yeah. yeah over, over your left-hand shoulder. We should have um, a... Jibber, Jibber, we should just have a segment. Blues, yeah, blues Jibber's segment. Blues moments. Yeah, Jibber's blues Jibber's moments. Jibber's blues moments. And I'll like get him for maybe once every two weeks, you know, just, you I'd know, like something. Well, the, you, your Crusaders get spoken up publicly all the time, so you don't need any minutes. <laughs> I just need, I need some minutes just well, to pump I'm my lads up. I'm very Hoskins' Susu should be at eight too, just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> if I get another minute, I'll just discuss that. He's a line-out uh, machine. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Venture back to <laughs> South Africa. Yeah, well, in the weeks in between the Blues weeks, we can have Harbour weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll miss this week, eh? We'll miss the Harbour week this week. <laughs> we'll miss it this week. Yeah, oh, no shot at the Shield. Yeah. No. no. Yeah, come on, Tunnies. Seriously, come on. No, Hawks Bay were good. Hawks Bay were good. Yeah. yeah. Obviously going All right, South Africa. South Africa. What do you got for us? Have they missed an opportunity here? So, you know, maybe not all of their players would have come. Uh, we all know that. We all know what South Africa is going through. And if they came over here with what was essentially a South Africa A team, they could have blooded some guys in some top-level football, um, even if they weren't necessarily... If they'd only played four weeks of other football beforehand. They had a chance to get something that they might not ever get at any other chance in international rugby history. They have a chance now to give those guys experience and not cop any blame for losing. Mm. It seems like well, a good opportunity to me. Well, we spoke about that at length, and I was a big advocate is that the pressure was off, that like there was no expectation for them to come down there, backs against the wall. Uh, you could galvanise a group and, and, and work off that. Um, the other thing I'd like to point out as well, that um, whatever's gone on, like from a player's point of view, we want to play South Africa, you know, and super rugby, um, you know, we want to play at an international rugby. We, we want them part of our game. Like there's, I, I'd hate for them to think that that was not the case. Um, because they are the world champions for a reason. They're the best to play. The more often we get to play them, the better we will get and the better our, our country will get. Um, but yeah, I, look, potentially an opportunity missed. Um, but we just, uh, there's so much going on that we wouldn't have a, you know, we're not privy to. So we don't know what, what's, what's occurred or what's been happening. From where we sit, I do think it looks like an opportunity missed. But maybe they just look at test losses as just not acceptable. And, and their new culture and their new environment is, uh, you know, what Russie's put in place and what their leaders have put in place is just uh, uh, not acceptable. And if they're not in the right conditions to perform in that South African jersey for what their public just live and breathe and love it, then maybe they've made a decision based on that <coughs> as well. Yeah, I think around that is, I think, yeah, you're spot on there, Jip. I think, you know, expectations uh, is a big thing. And it's no different for what the expectations are in the All Blacks in that, in that country. You know, there's such um, lovers of rugby. I mean, we've experienced the first hand, Jip, how much they love rugby. We think we love rugby, but, you know, the oh. South Africans, are, they're mad. You know, they, they're rugby mad and they just love team. getting in behind them. So, you know, I could imagine, I could imagine, you know, having a, um, a negative effect in coming down here, sending a, a South African A team and, well, not the greatest, but being in the best possible condition they can to perform at a test level, where they are the current world champions, and the expectation is that you know you play and act like world champions. So, yeah. I agree with Jip. I think we are. They have missed an opportunity, but again, there's so much stuff that we don't know um, that could be that's happening over there. And again, you know, COVID's uh, COVID's um, been at the forefront of it, and um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we probably don't know about. But I think it is a missed opportunity. And it's sad, you know, they're one of our oldest foes that we're probably not going to see again. You know, we're not going to see them again unless they um, come down um, like the, you know, the Welsh or the English or the French come down for those early June tests. Oh, not the June tests, the early part of the year. So, or we see them in the uh, Northern Hemisphere. But, you know, who knows? I think it's a missed opportunity and um, we, we're definitely going to miss seeing them. That's for sure. But we saw how hard it was for both, uh, for the All Blacks to click properly in a lot of areas in the first test they play. The next time the box play, it's going to be the Lions. You know, oh. they're going to step straight into the fire off... 18 months imagine. without rugby. They'd have something. They'd have like a, a fixture against each other or some form yeah, of... Surely us, if, us, if, they've, yeah. if they've pulled pulled out of rugby championship, they must have a plan in place yeah, they have, to play some footy. There's no way you're playing against the Lions 18 months without playing a, like you know some form of um, games against each other or something. Well, you, you, be, yeah. 
We already know how hard it is because Gats was talking about bringing the Lions down here for some games or us up there to play them before they went to South Africa because it is so hard to, you know, get a, get that test match level intensity by playing, you know, like they came here and played the super teams and the New Zealand Barbarians. You know, like that's, he's, he, you know, obviously Gats has learned from his experience and bringing a group together is quite hard to, to do. So if he could pick up a test against the All Blacks or the Wallabies, uh, before he went to South Africa. So it would be no different, I'm assuming, for them um, mm. getting their group together. Because at some point, um, they're going to have to play footy. Yep. Yeah. 